of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And look at what he's telling them. And we desire, though, that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, in some translation it says endurance, and without faith that has patient endurance, you will not inherit the promise of God. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to hang on and don't quit in the faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we come today to seek your face, to ask for your wisdom and help, to take something that may be difficult in one way to understand, but simple in another. Ultimately, Lord, as long as we have Jesus, he's got us, and we just need to never give up on the fact that we're anchored in him. He is our hope. Today, I pray you'll speak to your people And if there be one among us who's undone, lost, who hasn't been enlightened, who hasn't seen the light, who isn't ready to fly away on that wonderful day, that today might be their day of salvation, that they might be saved by the grace of God that is in Jesus through faith in believing and trusting him even to the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you this morning. I don't know if you've ever read Hebrews much. But Hebrews is probably one of the most neglected books in the New Testament. Hebrews is considered by many people to be one of the most difficult books in the New Testament to interpret. The reason being is you've got to have a pretty good working, understanding knowledge of the Old Testament to be able to make sense of what he's saying because he was writing to Hebrews, Jewish believers, who had come out of the Old Covenant, who had been raised, steeped in Judaism, the, the, the book requires you to have understanding knowledge of the Old Testament to truly know what it's saying because it's written to a Jewish Christian audience. It's very dependent on the Old Testament to probably understand what the writer's saying. And this fact often causes it to be one of the lesser read and studied books of the New Testament. How many of you have read it through and fell in love with it? Is there anybody here who would say Hebrews is my favorite book? (laughs) You hear that about Romans and you hear it about the Gospel of John. But today I want us to look at something that I think we all need to understand. The Jewish believers that the letter is addressed to were being persecuted and had come upon hard times because of their conversion from Judaism to Christianity. Their fellow Jews were ostracizing them and they were being shut out from everyday life to the point that It was affecting them economically. They wouldn't work them. They they were in trouble socially. And because they were going through it physically, it began to affect them spiritually to the point some of them was walking away from Jesus and going back to Judaism. They were on the verge of falling away and departing from the faith and giving in to unbelief say, well, how do you know that? It's in the letter if you take time to look. I want you to turn with me to chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to come back up right quick, give you an introduction of what's going on. And Lord, I keep hitting that button when I ain't supposed to. But if you look with me, look what the writer tells them. He's warning them in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've already heard, lest we drift away. 
See, the things we've already heard about Jesus and salvation, you've got to continue to give earnest heed to it. You've got to pay attention to it. You've got to focus on it. You can't just take it one day and forget about it and go back out in the world and let the world be the chief influencer of your thoughts. The thing that has to be influencing what you think, which is going to cause you to have what you believe, is going to have to be the word of God and the truth of his salvation. They weren't doing that. He says, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just award, look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken to us by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who had heard him, the apostles. Now, friends, as you go through the book, you'll see, look at chapter 3, verse 1. He's writing to people who have made a profession, who are believers now. He ain't writing the lost people. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. We are the house of God. Look at verse 6. But Christ as son over his own house, whose house we are. We are the house of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones that are the representatives of Jesus here on earth if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Guys, listen, if you had hope in Jesus one day enough to confess him, to trust him, to admit you're a sinner and believe in him for salvation and make a commitment to follow him as Lord, you got to keep following him to the end. It's not just walk the aisle, make a commitment, shake the preacher's hand, get dunked in the water, get put on the roll, and then you're good to go. True salvation is a continuance of putting your full hope into Christ, trusting him, believing him, not doubting, not letting him in circumstances cause you to falter and fall away. So what does he tell them? Look at what he says in verse 12 of that same chapter, chapter 3. Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And look at what he says, in departing from the living God. They were in danger of departing from the living God, the Lord Jesus he told them, beware and keep listening to what you've heard lest you drift away. They were drifting away. They were departing. He says, but exhort one another daily. Why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we, look at this, verse 14, those of us who are saved, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Way too many people in the church today started out with a rip-roar. They were shouting, but today they ain't nowhere to be found. Friends, it don't matter how well you start it. What matters is how good you finish. And friends, there's a lot of people that started good, but then things happened and circumstances changed and things they didn't expect that life allowed to happen or whatever, and they got tired just like these people. And they gave up. They drifted away. They departed from the living God. He's warning to them, don't do that. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that you, in chapter 4, look at verse 14, chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our 
confession. The whole theme of the book is I want to encourage you in the faith not to give up on Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. In recent days, would you say that there seems to be a spirit trying to discourage us? That there seems to be in America some type of movement where a lot of people seem to be departing from the true God, Jesus Christ. They seem to be drifting away from the truth of his great salvation. And because of that, my friend, they're in danger of losing their hope. Because if you ever give up on Jesus for salvation and spiritual health and righteousness and to have a real, genuine relationship where you have communion with God, there's no other way to have one. There's no other thing but his one sacrifice to remove your sins, to cleanse you, to fill you with his spirit. And when you walk away from Jesus, there's nowhere else to go if you want to have a relationship with God. That's what they were doing. They were going to go back to religion, to church, to Judaism. So he's warning them. And he tells them, do not fall away. If you fall away, I can't renew you. And so we get to our passage where I want to look, and now you kind of understand what's going on. And friends, listen, he's telling them to inherit the, the promise, those who inherit the promises. Listen what he says in those first two verses that we looked at. He says in verse 9, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He said, we don't think you're going to drift away. We don't believe you're going to depart from the living God. We're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. And he reminds them. He says, look at verse 10. We remember. God also remembers. He's not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Man, I, it breaks my heart. I see people come into the church and they, they have a desire to serve God and to labor for his name, and to bring him glory. But one day something happens. I don't know how it happens. It doesn't happen quickly. It's usually a process, but they begin to drift away because they neglect their salvation. They don't stay in his word. They allow other things to infiltrate their thought process. And the next thing you know, they begin to depart from the living God because sin sets in. And before long... They're wondering if Jesus was really who they thought he was. If Jesus is really going to get me to heaven. If the Satan can get you to doubt your salvation, he'll take away your hope in salvation. Because, friends, that's what he wants to do. He wants to get you to, to, to drift away from Jesus, to depart from his word, to, to take lightly the things of God so that he can take away the hope that you have in God through Jesus and friends, I want you to look at what he says right there. In verse 11, I got it on the screen. These are those who inherit the promises. Do you know how many promises we have in the book? The greatest one is that through Jesus Christ, we're saved by our sin. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we may die in our sin, but we're going to be raised in the glory of Jesus if we put our hope and trust in Christ, and we're going to live for Christ. Salvation is the greatest promise, but there's all kinds of other promises. There's promise that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the, the glory of God is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus lives in us. And the word of God tells us that if we are in Christ, we will overcome the world. Friends, I want you to look at this. Look at what he says. He says, we don't believe this about y'all. We believe in greater things, things that accompany salvation. 
And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope even until the end. I want to ask you a question. Are you showing the sure, same diligence? Are you filled with the same assurance of hope to live for Christ, to stand for him, and to walk in his power as you did the day you started the journey with him? Or maybe today you're a little discouraged. Maybe some things going on in your life has kind of sidetracked you and you're looking more by sight than faith. And maybe today you're, you've succumbed to the part that if you were honest, you have drifted away. You have neglected your salvation. And in reality, compared to where you used to be with Jesus, you've departed from him. You're a long ways from him from where you once were. Friend, you're in danger, I'm here to tell you. Because he says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope you had in the beginning, even until the end. Look at that next verse. That you do not become sluggish. I don't know about y'all, but Jonathan, I get sluggish. I'm tired of reading this Bible. I'm tired of coming up with sermons. I'm tired of going to tell people how good Jesus is. I'm tired of helping people. Lord, I, I just want to get away for a while. But look at what he says. That you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith, and that word can equally be translated endurance, perseverance, patience, inherit the promises. Man, I'm here to tell you. You're not going to inherit the promises of living a life filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to experience the abundant life that is in Christ just sitting on your keister waiting on God just to come and bail you out of everything you mope around in every day. You're going to have to pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and claim your place in Christ and say, Jesus, I got better promises than to be a defeated church member and walk around in sin and to be overwhelmed with the sadness of everybody else around me that don't have you. Lord, I want victory. Lord, I want to have the joy of your salvation again. I want to walk in the peace that's beyond understanding again. Lord, that's a promise. Why ain't I got it? Well, if you're honest, you've probably become sluggish somewhere. You've drifted. You've neglected. And now you've allowed the world to drag you away from the one who saved you out of this world, called you out of this world to follow him, to be with him, to be like him so that he can bless you. And friends, I don't know about y'all, if you're going to have the inherit inheritance of the promises in the word of God, you're going to have to be a person who keeps the faith in patient, persevering endurance even to the end to inherit those promises. Then he gives us an example that would have been very common to them, but being most of us ain't Jewish and we ain't grew up in Judaism, we don't know the Old Testament good enough. But he gives them an example of someone who's inheriting the promise by overcoming. The father of our faith, Abraham. And he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, that's how you inherit it. He tells you. You don't get to name it and claim it like them TV folks say. If God didn't say it, it probably ain't going to happen. You claim the promise of what God tells you to do. If God said it, believe it. It'll happen. If God didn't say it, you can believe it. It may not happen. We don't get to tell God what we want. We get to claim what God promises to do. And I want you to think about this. When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. He made a promise. That's the second time. Actually, that's the oath, the, 
when he swore to do it. But listen what it says about Abraham in verse 15 there. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now what is the promise? The promise was made over in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. And you can turn there if you want, but just listen. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and leave your father's house and go to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. And so Abraham went out, but he needed an heir for that to come true. And he went out believing God. 25 years went by, and Abraham still yet doesn't have an Isaac, a son from his given wife, Sarah. Abraham does what a lot of us does. It says he had faith and patience to inherit the promise, but along the way he got impatient because you know what he did? He listened to his wife who said, I can't give you a son apparently. Sarah said, take my maidservant, Hagar, this Egyptian who ain't a Hebrew, who can't produce an heir to the throne that God wants to produce, and she'll give you a son. And she did. His name was Ishmael, but God wasn't happy with him. God wouldn't accept him for the covenant. So Abraham gets a visit from God, and God again speaks the promise and says, you're going to have a son this year. Sarah laughed because she was old and he was old. He was 100 years old. But he gave a son, and he had a son named Isaac. And Isaac was what he'd been waiting for. And what a joy Isaac must have been. It's believed that Isaac was probably somewhere between 16 and 18 years old when you get to where he said, that part where he said, and I done hit this thing again. I'll get it there in a minute. When he said, surely... Blessings I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Do y'all remember what God asked Abraham to do with Isaac? What a test of faith. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, the son of your loins, and I want you to take him up on the mountain that I tell you and I want you to sacrifice him for me. And Abraham, can you imagine what a test? You think you've been getting tested? <laughs> so Abraham took his son. His son was old enough to know their Jewish and their spiritual traditions because he had the wood, he had the firebox. <laughs> he said, come on, son, the rest of y'all stay down here, me and the lads going up to worship. He said, Daddy, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, son, the Lord will provide. He takes his son, the heir, the one who keeps the promise, who fulfills all this, he takes the knife. He's bringing it down. And God stops him. And now God didn't just make a promise. God swears and makes an oath. We wouldn't understand this because most of us aren't Jewish. So I want to explain it to you today and take a little time to look at this. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You ever heard somebody say, I swear to God. Or I swear on my mama. <laughs> swear on my children's head. 
You see, to try to enforce and make what we're telling someone we promise to do more credible, we'll swear on something greater than ourselves. And so God said, surely blessing. Listen what it says. It says, and Abraham, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessings I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven as the sand which is of the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies and in your seed one that's Christ all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice I want you to think about this he's writing if you're looking with me in your text in the King James it's hard to get this so I got the NIV the next verse What makes us keep hoping and not giving up and having the full assurance to trust what God has promised until the end so that we can have hope to receive the promise is that we believe the one who made the promise. That what he said can be trusted. The certainty of God's promise. Look at what he says in this verse in the NIV. He says, people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms that it is said and puts an end to all argument. Where do we see that happen at? Anybody ever been to court? (laughs) Anybody ever had to testify in court? They say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And you say, yeah, that's a promise, but then they make you put your hand on the Bible. That's a swear. That's to do what? To give credibility to make that more than just a promise, but an oath. That's what God's saying he done. Listen to what he says in the next verses. Because, this is the certain, because God wanted to make the unchanging, the King James says the immutable, <laughs> the unchanging, the immutable. He wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised that he confirmed in an oath. You see, this this oath, this promise, didn't just affect Abraham. It affects the whole world because it's through his seed from these offspring that was as numerous as the sand on the seashore. What did he do? He had Isaac when God promised him this. What happened next? Isaac had Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the chosen one to carry on the seed. And out of Jacob, he gave Jacob 12 sons who became 12 tribes who became the nation of Israel. My friend, God does what he says. And out of the nation of Israel, God's made other covenants that me and you can look at and realize that what he says, he does. On through there, there was Moses. Moses came. And out of that, Moses' brother Aaron. And he gave us the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system. And he showed us the temple. And the, 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 the Shekinah glory of God was in the what? Holy of Holies. And that's the Old Testament. That's a picture of what's already in heaven. And then there was a king. A king named David who was a man after his own heart. And God made him another promise that was going to involve the seed of Abraham. He said, out of your seed... I'm going to give you a king to uphold your throne because your throne shall be a throne that is forever. 
And that king, we know, was the descendant of David. His name was Jesus. And Jesus, to be our Messiah, our hope for salvation, had to be able to trace his lineage all the way back to Abraham first because that showed that God kept his oath for that. And then it shows you that not only for him to be Abraham's son, he also had to be through David to be what? To be through Abraham, through Moses and Aaron. That's how he's a priest. How can he be a king too? Because he's also an heir to David. Friends, when you read and take time like these Jews would have, they'd have known all that. When you open the Gospel of Matthew to read the story of Jesus, what's the first thing you see? It bores most of us to death, but you see what? The lineage of Jesus Christ. Because if he couldn't fulfill that lineage, he couldn't be king, he couldn't be Messiah, and he certainly couldn't be high priest. But friends, I want you to think about this. God said that he did two things. He what? He made a promise and he made an oath. Look at that verse 18. God did this so that these two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. The King James says strong, that we might receive strong consolation. Now, how many of you would be honest that there's times in your Christian walk where you need to be greatly encouraged to keep your hope that's been set before you? How many times would you agree that there's a lot of times where you need strong consolation? (laughs) Lord, I've been rattled. I've become displaced in my spirit. We looked at the man last week that said his soul had become disquieted friends listen to claim the promises you got to do more than just come to church and take a casual approach to Jesus but it's not as difficult as you think because yes this kind of stuff increases your faith has this increased your faith is this helping you today to see this I hope it is hope I'm not confusing you because I want you to look at the next thing the hope of God's promise he says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What's he talking about? He's talking about the illustration that they had when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, then the temple. He entered in behind the curtain into the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, to where the presence of God was. But now he says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf already, folks. And he has become our high priest forever. Friends, I want you to think about this. What he's saying is that the hope that we have in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior that they're fixing to give up on is greater than all the Old Testament hopes you could all put together. Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the Levitical animal sacrifice. Jesus' priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood that come from Moses and Aaron. Jesus' temple is the true temple in heaven that this temple that they had built was only a picture of. And Jesus, my friend, is the forerunner who's gone before already 
and is already in heaven. Do you know where Jesus is at this moment where I speak? Seated at the right hand of the Father in the presence of God in the inner sanctuary in heaven as our high priest. You know what he does? He intercedes on our behalf. He's up there watching us. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but get this. An anchor of the soul. How many of you know what an anchor is? What does an anchor do? It secures you. It holds you where you need to be. And friends, I don't know about you, but this anchor don't just hold you where you need to be, but it's got you secured to where you need to get. (laughs) To the presence of God. Friends, listen to this. Back in their day, when he said forerunner, he used a word that's very uncommon in the New Testament. He guaranteed what he had said by the fact that God not only said it, but he swore an oath. There's nowhere else in the Bible you can find where God swore an oath but to Abraham. And guys, I want you to look at this. He says, we have this hope now as an anchor for the soul. I don't know about y'all, but there's been times where I haven't done everything I'm supposed to do. And even like Abraham, I've done things I shouldn't do. You know, Abraham wasn't perfect. He went to Egypt, lied, and said he wasn't married to Sarah, said that wasn't his wife because he was scared, thought they'd kill him and take her. And then to bless him, they gave him Hagar when he left. What did Hagar do? Hagar's caused problems. That's where we get Islam. That's where all that comes from to this day. But friends, he still did one thing. He never quit seeking the promised land. He never quit going where God told him to go and believing what God said he would do, that God would produce an heir. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but Jesus is the hope that not only is he our anchor that secures us into heaven, he's already went before us. He's a forerunner. This is what the Bible says about a forerunner. That word is the word prodromus. Now, I know y'all are bored with Greek, but this is important. Just listen for a moment. That word literally means what we would think of a forerunner, to run ahead or before. It describes one who goes ahead to prepare the way. But in this case, prodromus was used in the Greek to describe one who had been sent before. But guys, in Paul's day, I get this from numerous commentaries and also looking up in the Greek. One of the words for that word prodromus was a small ship, a small boat, a mini ship. Now, I want you to understand something. In the original Greek, he's writing, you would have caught this, he's speaking in nautical terms. Anchor of the soul, forerunner would have went that. Because what a forerunner did, it came to a big ship who was not able to maneuver, especially when the storms were there or the tide was low. This little ship would come out of the safety of the harbor. It knew the channel. It would come out. It would meet the big ship. The big ship would put its anchor on the little ship, the forerunner. And the prodromus would go back into the harbor that they were in sight of but they couldn't get to without running ashore or running up on a rock and becoming shipwrecked. And he would drop the anchor into a good anchorage and they would hold and they would stay there until the conditions were right to where the tide was high, the storms was gone, and they would keep that rope as they maneuvered in until they got into the harbor. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's gone before us. He's entered into heaven. 
He's seated in the inner sanctuary in the Holy of Holies right next to God. And if you got a hold of him, you got a hold of the anchor that is where you're one day going to be, and he's got you. And I'm telling you one thing, my friend, the problem will never be in the anchor coming loose. That's Jesus. The anchor holds. So the problem is this morning, do you have hold of the anchor? <laughs> you say, well, what does that mean to have hold of the anchor? Simple as I understand it means is don't give up on Jesus. That's what he's telling them. Friends, that doesn't mean you never sin. That doesn't mean you never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that sometimes you doubt. But I want to tell you something. I've quit before on Jesus. Not to the point I walked away from him, but to the point I didn't do what he said to do. I didn't go where he said to go. I failed Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus never failed me, and the only reason I can say that is because out of all the things I can say and all my weaknesses and all my failures, I ain't let go of Jesus. I ain't got nowhere else to go. How about you? I say, Lord, I done did it again, but Lord, I'm hanging on to you. Friends, listen to this. Hold on to Jesus, the anchor of our soul. That's what he's telling these Hebrews who are leaving the faith. Do you know how many people today have a faith that ain't true? That ain't going to be real because it ain't no commitment to Jesus. You go to church occasionally and your commitment to Jesus is when life gets unbearable. Get what's unbearable out of my life. When life throws you a curve, Jesus, get me back on the straight and narrow. Your life is always about Jesus taking that which is uncomfortable. Jesus was taking that which you don't want. Jesus fixing what I messed up. But it's never about I'm a sinner deserving hell. And Lord, I need to get home. I need to get into the safe harbor where only you can be in the holiness of God your Father. And Lord, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust you. 25 years ago this month, I trusted Jesus. I've been a Christian 25 years this month. And along the way, I've gotten confused. I've gotten discouraged. I've felt before where I wondered where he's at. But even when I couldn't see Jesus, I said, I ain't letting go. You got a hold of me one day, Jesus. You anchored your plums into me. And Lord, I have messed up. I am confused. But one thing I know, Lord, I'm hanging on to the anchor for my hope. And you know what, friends? That anchor ain't never going to let go of you. And all you do is keep trusting Jesus. Look at what that verse says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Do you remember when you accepted Jesus? I can remember the day as clear as if it happened this morning. I came home from work discouraged, unsettled, realizing that church and Baptist religion wasn't doing anything to deliver me from drugs and alcohol. Wasn't doing anything to fix my marriage and make it real. And I'd made promises that I couldn't keep. But I came home in 1996 into a little cabin that we lived in on Short School Road right outside of Pulaski, Tennessee. And I fell down in my despair and in my confusion and in my discouragement and lostness. And I said, Jesus, if you'll have me, here I am. I don't know a lot, but I know I believe what that preacher's been saying. 
that you died for me, that you loved me. I didn't know half of what I know now, but I knew enough to know that my hope was in him, that he loved me, he had died for me, and he had been raised from the dead, and now he lives to help me, and that he said he would live in me. All I know is that I knew that I got down on a church, on a couch cushion, and I got down a sinner, an alcoholic, a drug addict, a, a, a sorry husband. I'm still working on that, baby. Trying to do the best I could, which was failing. And I said, here I am, Jesus, save me. I gave up. I didn't know all the theology, but I knew him. And I knew he was my hope. And I put my hope in Christ. And guess what? He hasn't let go of me since. And many times I've wondered, how could he put up with me? Have you ever been there? How could he use me? But he keeps on keeping on being my anchor. He is the hope for our souls. And friends, I don't know about y'all. There's a lot of things you may do. You may mess up. You may disappoint your wife. You may let down your kids. You may make your neighbor think you might not be the best Christian. But one thing you better not ever do, don't you ever let go of Jesus. Don't you ever give up your hope in him. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Because there ain't nowhere else to put hope that can truly save you and make a difference. This morning... I'm talking to lost people now for a second. Has there ever been a day that you can identify to where you got to the end of your religious pursuit and the rope you'd been hanging on to you realize wasn't anchored to what you thought it was and you let go of all of your religion, all of your own ability to fix yourself and you grabbed hold of Jesus and you put all your hope in him and you said, Lord, I'm a sinner I'm a mess up waiting to happen. But Lord, if you had me, I'll do my best to follow you. Take hold of me, and guess what? He will. He'll take hold of you this morning. You don't have to understand it. All you got to be willing to do is trust it. I'm going to ask somebody here today that's never trusted Christ, that you know you're undone, you know you're not anchored, you don't have hope of eternal security in heaven. You wonder how I'll ever make it. Grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go, and one day you will make it. He's promised us. But I'm talking to some Christians today. Some Christians who have salvation, you're a partaker of all the good things of God, but you have allowed yourself to neglect that salvation, and in all honesty, you've drifted away. You're not where you used to be. Some of you are to the place that you're so far from where you once was when you first met Christ, when you first put your hope in him, that you barely got a hold of the rope and you're fixing to let go. You're about to depart from the living God. Friends, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe you can depart from him if you're his. He's going to help you this morning. You know what he's telling you right now? Listen to that preacher. He's telling you my truth. Come to me and I'll let you repent. You may be a prodigal. You're in the hog pen. You're feeding hogs in the world, and the world didn't supply what you thought it would, and you're empty, and you're saying, I had Christ. I had everything, and I walked away from it. Jesus said, come back today. I'm like that father. I'm waiting for my prodigal child, and if you'll come back today, I'll love you. I'll wrap my arms around you. I'll clean you up. I'll put a new robe on you. I'll put sandals on your feet. I'll put a ring on your finger and say, let's rejoice because my son who is dead has come home. That's what Jesus does. But we sit here, 
And we stay just like we are because we won't come to Christ. Friends, today I'm going to tell you, come to Christ. And to do it, make an expression of your faith. I'm going to ask you to step out of aisle, walk up here and say, Preacher, I come today, I want that hope. I've come to accept Jesus as my Savior. All I'm going to do is share with you a little while about what that means and how to follow him. If you mean it in your heart, you're going to be saved before you ever get to me. Some of us, though, have been saved so long and we've messed up so much and we've been out of fellowship so long, you don't feel like you can get back. Friends, you're only one prayer away. Repent. Turn. Come back to God and he'll come to you and help you. Friends, that anchor rope ain't broke. (laughs) You just got to grab hold of it today. I don't know about y'all, but with all going on in my life this morning, with all the uncertainties of tomorrow, there's one thing I ain't uncertain about. I'm connected to heaven. Heaven is connected to me. And Jesus is the hope of my soul, my anchor. And one day, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to see that that anchor rope wasn't as long as I thought. I'm going to be looking at Jesus. Until that day comes, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep holding on. I'm going to keep trying to make another step. And when I fail, he'll get me back up. But I ain't letting go of the rope of hope. Jesus. I'm asking you this morning, folks. Come to an altar and do business with God. He wants to do business with you. He'll help you. He'll change you. He'll fix you. If you're lost today, you don't have to leave here. You can leave here knowing that you are anchored to the hope of your soul, Jesus. He's waiting for you to come. We're going to sing a song. What are we going to sing, Brother Jonathan? Oh, come to the altar. An altar is where you come to give something to God. Come give your life to Jesus. He'll give you his life. I'm inviting you, my lost friend, today to come. Today is the day of salvation. Come while he's calling, while he's speaking. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will anchor you to eternal life in him. We're going to stand together and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to respond. Father in heaven, we want to thank you today that in Christ Jesus there is an eternal hope that cannot be broken. You tell us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, past, present, or future. Not even death, not even the sword or peril, but that in Christ we are secure for all of eternity. Lord, there's someone here today who's fighting, who knows they need to be saved. Give them the grace and the strength to publicly come and just give their life to you, Father. For those people who are saved, who are struggling, who drifted away, who are like these Hebrew Christians who are on the verge of giving up, Lord, fill us today with the assurance of your hope that we might continue on even until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.